Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 6 this morning. We're going to continue on in our series entitled Digging Deeper. We launched this at the beginning of January. The series was built around a verse that we actually just read, and now we're kind of looking at that verse in its greater context. Luke 6, 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so what we've been doing in this series is trying to understand what Jesus was communicating there. First, that Jesus isn't after just casual followers or just people who claim the name of Christ. Jesus was after disciples. Now we've defined disciple like this. A disciple is a follower of Jesus and his teaching, a follower of Jesus and his teaching. And disciples need to be fully trained. We don't just instantly become disciples. We have to go through a process of training, a process that we've been calling discipleship, which is a continuous process of gospel transformation where we become more like Christ, a continuous process. It never ends. We never arrive at being uh, fully discipled. We will someday, I guess, when we end up with Christ forever. But until then, we're in a process of discipleship, and it's a gospel process. And the point of the digging deeper is this, that as the gospel digs deeper in us, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul explains this process, that in the same way that we're saved, which is through the gospel, or we come into Christ, is through the gospel, that's the same way we grow up in Christ, or grow deeper into it, the gospel. And so all of the Christian life is just going back to the gospel and letting it break in deeper and deeper, rooting out that which ought not to be there and deepening that which ought to be there, hence the title, Digging Deeper. And so we've been then talking about, well, how does that happen? How does the gospel dig deeper? Well, we have to understand the gospel more. We have to uh, make ourselves more available to the gospel to change us. Well, how do we do that? By exposing ourselves to Scripture. And so two weeks ago, we talked about how we understand what we read. And then last week, we talked about how we then pray that inward, and the gospel deepens in us. Today, we transition uh, to a kind of a new way where the gospel works and moves in our lives. Now, we're going to talk about relationships this morning. And as we do, this is uh, the first element here. I'll hit like part two of this next week uh, on the way relationships work is they're both a part of discipleship and also a product or a byproduct of discipleship. Said another way, how we handle relationships both reveals that we are a disciple and being in relationships is part of how we are discipled. And so this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about relationships. And Jesus has much to say in all of the scriptures, the gospels about relationships. And then, of course, the theme gets picked up throughout the rest of the scriptures as well by Paul and some of the other writers. Now, in this particular text in Luke Luke chapter 6, Jesus is primarily talking about enemies, but he hints at a few other relationships. He hints at the believer-to-believer relationship. He hints at the familial relationship. He hints at the relationship with strangers. Uh, And then, in the rest of the context of the Gospels, Jesus looks at two other relationships a lot too. I'll add them on to these four. The marriage relationship, and then one of Jesus' most common themes in his parables is like co-worker relationships or work environment relationships. So there then are six primary relationships talked about in the Gospels. Marriage, family, believer to believer, 
co-workers, strangers, and enemies. Now, by throwing strangers in there, he's hit the whole world. So in reality, what we're talking about is Jesus's perspective on how to interact with literally anybody. And we'll then see what Jesus teaches in these particular relationships. And so let me just kind of tell you my aim this morning. My, my aim this morning is to look at the primary point that Jesus makes in each of these six relationships. And I'll point out the text and where he does that. And as he, we then see the, the main point in what Jesus teaches on each one of these, we'll also see that that main point is to permeate through all of the relationships. But Jesus uses teaching around one relationship to show us how to interact in all of these relationships. If that doesn't make sense, it will in a moment when I begin to walk through it. Relationships, of course, are the ever-present thing in our lives. I mean, everything we do with another person is relational. And when life is good, it typically is because relationships are good. And when life is bad, it's typically because relationships are bad. On the way to church this morning, we drove to church together for like the first time ever because Lindsay wasn't singing. We get in the car and Reagan goes, I don't know if I want to be a part of this family. It's like, wow, we're three and we're already there. Great. I said, well, I said, someday you might, so let's pretend <laughs> on the way to church this morning that you do. Relationships, when they go bad, there's a natural tendency to just let them go that pattern, to forget about the bad relationship and just to let it go. And one of the themes we're going to see here in the six relationships is Jesus teaches us an engagement not to neglect or to let things just fall apart. Now, Jesus also teaches us the, the normal or the um, typical response in relationships. He does this in this particular passage in Luke chapter 6. In, starting in verse 32, he says this, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the proof of discipleship is not found in normal relationships. It's easy to love the perfect spouse. It's easy to respect the coworker who you think is carrying their weight. It's easy to show compassion on the stranger that looks just like you. And you can kind of see yourself in them. And what Jesus is saying is that doesn't make you a disciple. That just makes you a person. That makes you a human being. That's easy. Jesus says the gospel or the proof of being a disciple is not in how you handle typical relationships. It's how you handle relationships when they're hard. How you handle relationships when it actually might require something tough from you. That's the proof of discipleship. Now, in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't start in the easy middle and work his way out. As an example, Jesus doesn't say to the rich young ruler, why don't you give a dollar? 
No, he says, why don't you sell everything you have? Jesus doesn't start in the middle in his call to discipleship and say, just do the easy thing and then we'll work out to the hard. In discipleship, in the call of Christ, he starts out at the extremes saying, if you can do this, then of course you'll be able to do this stuff in the middle, which is why he then transitions and says, love your enemies. What's he doing? He's starting at the extreme. He's saying, let's start out here because if we can do that, then we can work our way to the easy middle. So today we're going to talk through these six relationships. We're, we're going to talk through, again, Jesus' primary teaching and then the way sin distorts them. Let me throw up a chart here that shows you the six relationships and then shows when they're good and shows when they're bad. We start at the top, the marriage relationship. When it's good, we're committed. When it's bad, we grow passive. Then it goes down to the familial relationship. When it's good, we support. When it's bad, we neglect or abandon. Then there's the believer-to-believer relationship. When it's good, we can restore and fix that which is broken. When it's bad, judgment takes over, and we tend to break away or to disconnect. We get then to the coworker. When it's good, we respect and there's honor. When it's bad, we disrespect and there's dishonor. When then the stranger. When it's good, we show compassion. When it's bad, we grow indifferent. And then lastly, there's the enemy. And when it's good, we bless. And when it's bad, we curse. To reiterate what I was just saying, Jesus is saying, sometimes we might find ourselves on the right side of the column or the correct side of the column and think, oh, I must be a disciple. I'm committed to my spouse. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Being committed to your spouse when everything is great and easy doesn't make you a disciple. Blessing your enemy, that shows discipleship. Commitment to your spouse when it grows hard. That shows discipleship. You might say, oh, I support my family. I'm always got their back. I must be a disciple. Well, yeah, when it's easy. What about when they mess up? Bring shame to the family name. Do something that you thought no one in our family would ever do. That's when discipleship is shown. So what Jesus is doing here, and this is not an easy text, friends, is he's trying to, again, go back to what I said earlier. Discipleship is both a byproduct, our relationships are a byproduct of discipleship. We have to be discipled to be able to do this, but doing this is actually part of what grows us. Let's walk through here. Jesus' primary teaching. I gave you the word. Let me just kind of point it out a little bit. Actually, before I do that, I want to give you three keys to gospel relationships. These three keys to gospel relationships right here in the text must be present in any of these relationships to move from the wrong side of the column back to the correct side of the column. These are three keys to relationships that must be present in every age and stage of your life and must be utilized into any relationship if you're ever going to make progress. 
Said another way, if you're stalled in a relationship right now, or if you're stalled in your ability to move from the wrong side of the column to the right side of the column, I will say it's because one of these three yet hasn't taken root. Three keys to gospel relationships right here in the text. I love it when Jesus makes it this clear. Verse 31, and this is key number one. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Key number one. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Now, I'm going to sum up the key in a word, humility. Because the only way I will ever do to someone else what I wish they would do to me is if I then in that moment consider them more important than myself, if I'm willing to humble myself and to actually do. Jesus, of course, showed this most when he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. They should have been washing his feet. He turned and washed their feet in humility. The first key to gospel relationships is humility. It's humility to, uh, to, to lower ourselves and to serve the other person in the relationship. Gospel key to relationships number two is found in verse 42. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Key number two, self-awareness. Self-awareness. You will never be able to make progress in your relational issues until you can become self-aware enough to realize that maybe you're not perfect and maybe you're doing something that's contributing to the problem. In business speak, these are called blind spots. And I remember reading a business book once, and this leadership group had just gone through this like anonymous test where they were evaluating their coworkers, including their boss. And they went through, and everyone laid out what they thought. And then they got to the time where they were reading the boss's review, and they're sitting around the table, and they read all of the anonymous feedback that had been about the boss, like six or seven people on this executive team. And they read it all out loud, and the boss goes, well, that doesn't sound like me. And everybody else goes, yeah, no, that doesn't sound like you. That doesn't sound like, no, 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 not you. They were all the ones who had written it. And the boss, sitting there, hearing all of the feedback, just deflects and goes, no, that must, you guys, that, that's not me. Well, in that moment, no progress can be made. The moment we look and say, well, that doesn't sound like me, no progress can be made. The, 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 the ability to make change is now stopped. We have to be self-aware enough. We have to be self-aware enough to, to think, maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I too am contributing to the problem. Gospel key number three. Verse 36. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Every wedding I do, Near the end, I get to this point where I say, and if there's one thing you got to learn how to do in marriage, is you better learn how to forgive. Because if you can't learn the art of forgiveness in your marriage, you're not going to last very long. Or it's not going to be fun while you're in it. Three keys to gospel relationships. Humility, self-awareness, and forgiveness. 
Now, these three keys then have to be present to help us move from the wrong side of the column over to the correct side of the column. And these three keys in and of themselves are very difficult. But without these three, we'll never be able to move. Let's walk through the six now, and then we'll point out how we can apply these three keys, humility, self-awareness, and forgiveness, into the different relationships that we have. We'll start with marriage. Jesus taught us to be committed to each other. He does this a few different times throughout the Gospels. He taught us to be committed to each other. Sin leads us to passivity around that commitment. And this is not just a commitment that says, like, I'm not going to go anywhere and I'll just, like, stick through it. No, this is a commitment that says, no, this, this marriage has been given to each of us and we're going to be committed to do the work necessary to make sure that the marriage is the blessing that it needs to be. That, that I'm committed. And now, listen, it's easy, of course, going back to what we said earlier, to be committed when everything is good. But then as life goes on, as work gets busier, as kids get more ornery or more expensive, as bodies begin to change, as health begins to deteriorate, where does the commitment go then? It's easy. When it's easy, the gospel begins to show when it gets tough. And Jesus taught us this commitment, and sin leads us to passivity in it. Sin leads us to get to a place then where what we do is we allow any distance that has begun to grow to just continue to grow. Grow eventually to the point where it seems like there's no way to bring it back. So what has to happen? Humility. Someone's got to go first. What's got to happen? Self-awareness. Where you look in the mirror and go, Okay, maybe I'm part of the problem too. Forgiveness to finally get past through and over the thing that seems to come in back in the marriage over and over again. And without these three things, the gap just continues to widen. I would submit, friends, if the marriage you're in right now, seems to not be able to come back to a point that the reason is one of these three things, humility, self-awareness, or forgiveness, are not at the level they need to be. One of those three. And my prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you this morning so that it can begin to work in you so that you too could begin to work together. I've shared this before. Uh, Lindsay and I's marriage has gotten, thankfully, better every year. And I hope it continues on that trend, <laughs> right? We're only four and a half years into it, so who knows? That's my prayer. And I remember a time early on in our marriage when um, we were at this moment, I mean, it was, it was kind of tough. And um, I remember we were when I say separated, I just mean we were like in a different part of our 800 square foot house, okay? So by separated, I mean we could stand up and see each other in two seconds, right? Um, but, but she's thinking in one place, I'm thinking in one place, and, and this thought came to me, which was, 
this is my marriage. Like, this is it. And I have a choice here. We're either going to fight through what we're at right now, or we're not going to fight through it, and I'm just going to have to live in this. And it was like this light bulb that went off that said, like, if I don't want to just do this for the rest of my life like it is right now, well, then we better be willing to do the work right now to fix it. Because this is all I get, and I want it to be good. So married couples, let me encourage you. Don't go passive. Don't go passive in the commitment. Fight through it now. This is what you get. Fight through it. Get back to what God wants for you in your marriage. Okay, number two, family. Jesus taught us to support one another. Sin leads us to neglect or abandon when it becomes hard. The overwhelming idea of Scripture as you read it all the way through the Old Testament to the New Testament and the way that Jesus set up the family unit and the early stories that they tell of families breaking apart and turning on each other. And whenever family turns on each other early in the Scriptures, it always ends up bad. And then there are these stories about them coming back together and it always turns out good. What, would, what, what is the overarching teaching of family in the Scripture? Is that family is there to support one another. And it's easy when everyone's doing their part, and it's easy when everyone is uh, um, living perfectly or, or, or doing something that, that lifts the family up or the family name is good. When does the gospel come in? Well, the opposite of the gospel is that sin leads us to neglect or abandon when it becomes hard. To walk away. Either you walking away from the whole family or, or you turning your back on that family member because they did that thing or they brought shame to the family name. When does the gospel teach us? To stick with one another, to support one another when it gets hard, that the gospel is then proven in us when we walk through the tough times together. And often around here, we say church is a family. And what we mean by that is that if you have faced abandonment or neglected by your family, that we want to offer you one here in the church. Now, our hope would be that eventually you're fully restored and and reconnected back to that family. But in the meantime, we can serve to help that while that gets restored and fixed. What will it take? Humility, self-awareness, and forgiveness. Self-awareness maybe to go, could have been me that did that thing. Forgiveness to look at the family member and say, man, I can't believe you did this. It caused so much disruption in our family. It hurt us so much. But instead of neglecting and abandoning, I'm going to forgive and to bring it back together. And you guys know how this works if you've lived any life. What starts as one missed holiday turns into decades. Why don't we see them? Why don't we talk to them? What happened? Maybe God would use today to start bringing some of that back. Number three, 
believer to believer. By the way, if you're like, man, this is starting off pretty hard, it only gets harder from here. Believer to believer. Jesus taught us to restore the fallen believer, to handle conflict well, to resolve tension peacefully. That was the biblical idea. Listen, Jesus takes basically one text to teach through believer and believer relationships. And in all of what could be written in the scriptures and all of the teachings that the Holy Spirit made sure was present in the gospels, Jesus's own words on how believers should interact with each other, Jesus chooses to teach on Matthew 18 to restore the fallen believer. It was as if Jesus was looking out and going, I bet someday there will be church drama. And I want to give them a tool on how to handle it. The call of Christ is to restore the fallen, to handle conflict well, to resolve tension. What does sin lead us to do? It leads us to judge the fallen believer and to break away when things get tough. I've taught on this before. Jesus and the rest of scriptures have much harsher words to say to those who would cause division in the church than to those who have fallen in sin. Jesus' words to those who have fallen in sin are actually quite gentle, very forgiving. Jesus' words to those who would cause division in the church are much harsher. Why? Because his primary teaching on believer-to-believer relationships was to restore and to bring back when inevitable tension and difficulty arises for whatever reason. We see it right here on the judgment. We see it in Matthew 18. Sin leads us to judge those fallen into sin. It leads us to break away and to run when things get tough. Not what Christ had in mind when he birthed his church. What will it take? It'll take forgiveness. Forgiveness of the person who fell. It'll take self-awareness to say, maybe apart from the gospel, I would have done that same thing. It will take humility. Maybe even humbling yourself to stick through the time of difficulty, regardless of what talk is being done. But that's what Christ would call us to. Number four, co-workers. Jesus taught us to respect each other as partners, to work hard as unto the Lord, to honor those in authority. Sin leads us to gossip about each other, work just enough to be seen, and to disrespect those in authority. For most of us, our work environment is the primary outlet that we have for evangelistic opportunity to display how being a Christian makes us different than a non-Christian. For most of us, work is that outlet. It is where we get to, to show, I act differently because of Jesus. What does sin lead us to do, though? Yeah, gossip. Gossip about the coworker who did this or who did that. 
disrespect the coworker who doesn't work as hard or disrespect the boss because they just don't understand or disrespect the employee because he or she is just so dumb and they can't get it. Ah, but what does Christ teach us? To respect each other as partners. To work hard as unto the Lord, not as unto your boss. And to honor those in authority. What will this take? Oh, it'll take self-awareness. Part of the self-awareness is realizing, like, maybe I'm not so crucial to the operation as I think, and this whole place wouldn't fall apart if I wasn't here. Uh, Takes forgiveness, because bosses and coworkers and employees will make mistakes and will fall short. Friends, nothing about what Jesus is teaching here is easy, but everything that he is teaching here shows how the gospel actually plays itself out. Number five, strangers. Jesus taught us to show compassion to any and all, to show no favoritism or partiality. This is most taught in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Sin leads us to be indifferent to those who can't help us or who aren't like us. And we all love like a pat on the back on a, oh my goodness, you're so nice. And it is easy and it is the natural tendency for us to be kind and to be compassionate to those who we can see ourselves in them. Oh, I could have been like that or you're kind of like me or I can understand. But sin then leads us to be indifferent to the stranger who is different than us who we can't see ourselves in their shoes. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan, when when those who were actually most like the injured individual um, were indifferent, but those who, the guy who was the most different than the injured individual showed compassion. And what was Christ showing or teaching us? He was teaching us that, that, that what the gospel then calls us to is to be compassionate toward all strangers, to fight the, the, the natural aim towards indifference to those who are different, but, but instead to, to, to with passion, to have compassion, to, to lend a helping hand, to go out of our way, to serve the person where there is nothing in it for us. But to love the stranger. And number six, perhaps the hardest of all, Jesus taught us to bless our enemies. Sin leads us to curse them, wish the worst for them and destroy them where they cannot defend themselves. Oh, it's easy to bless and to pray a blessing over somebody who stood with us. It's easy to pray a blessing over, um, uh, over somebody who has been good to us. Jesus says discipleship is shown when you can pray that exact same blessing over those who have hurt you the most how you know you're a disciple, how you know the gospel is actually beginning in your heart, how it's taking root, how it's, it's ripping out that which ought not to be there and deepening that which ought to be is when you can look at the person who has hurt you the most and say, man, I wish God's best for you. In fact, let me pray it for you. 
Maybe the sign of a healthy church and a healthy group of believers is not in how much blessing that that particular body is receiving, but how much blessing their enemies are receiving. Maybe that's actually the sign of a healthy church. So Jesus went here in his text because he's raising the bar on discipleship, guys. He's showing us, yes, this gospel actually matters and how we interact in all of these relationships. And it is only the gospel that can move us from the wrong side to the correct side. And so we have to, again, go back and look at each again and see the gospel in them. Marriage. Christ was deeply committed to our union. The opposite of passive, Christ came from heaven to earth to take action and to restore what was lost. Family. Jesus is the brother who never waned in his support, even though he could have neglected or abandoned us for our absolute failures and bringing shame to the family name. Believer to believer, Jesus had every right to judge us, yet despite our sin, he restored us and he gave us new life. Co-workers, Jesus showed his co-workers the respect of washing their feet and the honor in calling us his partners. Strangers, Jesus was far from indifferent. He showed compassion to us when we were far different from him, bandaging our spiritual wounds and giving all that he was for us. Enemies, he became the curse, so that we might have his blessing. Oh, and then see what happened. Jesus moved each of us from the wrong side to the right side. We started as his enemy, but he blessed us. We were the stranger, and he showed compassion. We were the co-workers. He turned us into them. Partners with him in the incredible work that he's doing. We were joined in fellowship with him in his church, never judged, always restored. We entered into his family where he offers his unwavering support. And then ultimately, we are joined with Christ in the intimacy of a spiritual marriage to the one who is fiercely committed to our well-being. How? Because Jesus was willing to humble himself on the cross. Because Jesus, the one who was perfect, was self-aware enough to realize that his perfection was the only path to our righteousness. And so he took on our imperfection. Because Christ was willing to take on the wrath of the cross so that we might be forgiven. And then he welcomes us in to each of these relationships. And a disciple 
is to become like his teacher. So friend, I would pray that in your marriage that God would move you from commitment or from passive to commitment if that's where you're at. That maybe the Holy Spirit would reveal today if you've neglected or abandoned someone you need to be supporting. If you'd allowed judgment, disunity to creep in on what is supposed to be restored. If you're disrespecting someone who you should be respecting. If you've grown indifferent, where the gospel would call you to compassion. And if the words of cursing need to stop and words of blessing need to flow. So let's pray these things. Father, thank you that when we were your enemy, you didn't curse, you blessed. Starting us down a path that ends in an intimate relationship with you where you are fiercely committed to our well-being. Thank you. Thank you. And Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would reveal to each person in this room where the gospel, where humility, self-awareness, and forgiveness need to break into their relationships so that they can begin to walk in the joy and the freedom of a gospel relationship. It will not be easy, but you give us the strength to do it. granted to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.